Amen. Thank you, John and praise team for leading us in worship this morning. We are going to be in the book of Mark. Uh, Chapter one is where we will pick up uh, where we left off. Uh, One of the great parts about going through a verse by verse study uh, in a book is you know what you're preaching on the following week. And so um, we're going to be in verses 14 uh, through 20. Uh, this morning uh, as we continue our verse-by-verse study in the book of Mark. The last two weeks, uh, Pastor Aaron had walked us through the first 13 verses uh, where we saw the forerunner of Christ, the gospel preacher, and John the Baptist. We also looked at the baptism of Christ as well as the temptation of Christ. And we're going to jump to verse 14 uh, today. Now, in between verses 13 and 14 in the life and the ministry of Christ, there is a several-month gap. And so um, Mark is what I like to call like the Cliff Notes version of when it comes to gospel uh, writers. Um, Matthew and Luke go in a little bit more detail um, as to why Christ is jumping from 13 to 14, or excuse me, as Mark is jumping from 13 to 14 in the story and the walk, the life of Christ. Um, But we're going to see right off the bat, if you're going from 13 to 14, uh, you're going to see John's thrown into prison. And you're like, wait, what happened? How did, how did that happen? And so when you look at Matthew and Luke and then parts of John uh, chapter 4, Uh, you'll see why uh, John was thrown into prison. He was thrown into prison by Herod uh, for preaching of this coming Messiah. It didn't go well when you're preaching about a a new kingdom and there's a king that's in charge. Um, And so John was thrown into prison for that regard. And so um, we're going to go through verses 14. Uh, through 20, um, and where we see Christ pick up. Now, uh, because John was thrown into prison, it tells us elsewhere in the book of John that Christ um, was going to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria, which wasn't the greatest, safest route uh, to travel um, as he was heading to Galilee um, right after spending 40 days in the wilderness, right after communing with God the Father, but also being tempted uh, by the devil. And uh, he goes through Samaria, but Jesus is an all-knowing God, and he knows exactly why he needed to go that route uh, or who he would come in contact with. Uh, In between these two verses of 13 and 14, he comes and meets the woman at the well um, as he heads to uh, Capernaum on the way uh, to the senior Galilee. And that's where we're going to pick up uh, in verse 14 uh, this morning. Today we're going to look into the message that Christ was to bring into the world, as well as the mandate that he called people to follow alongside of him in that message. We'll also see their method or response and whether or not how and when they follow him. At the beginning of this year, Pastor Aaron uh, preached through a uh, a three-week uh, mini-series on our fourth core value, uh, which is to share Him. Um, our core purpose statement here at Oasis is to lead others to be passionate followers of Christ. And um, before we get too much into this study, there's this idea of how our core idea of sharing Him and leading others is going to tie in perfectly um, into the passage that we look into today. Um, as I mentioned, our our reason for existence as a church is to lead others to be passionate followers of Christ. So let's stop real quick and go back to Mark chapter 1. We'll read verses 14 through 20. We'll pray, and then we'll get into uh, the word this morning. It says in verse 14, Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, 
and believe the gospel. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Verse 18, And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Lord, in these next few moments, I pray that you would allow me to speak what you've really shown me this week through this passage. The idea of how we as Christians must understand the gospel message in order to reach others. God, I pray in these next few moments that you would just speak through me, open our hearts, my heart included, to what you have for us this morning. Help us, God, to leave here different than how we came this morning. Help us to leave empowered and encouraged from your word to go and reach others with the gospel message of Christ. Lord, we love you. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. The main point this morning is really this. When it comes to the kingdom of God, we must immediately obey God's call to reach others with the gospel. When it comes to the kingdom of God, we must immediately obey God's call to reach others with the gospel. Now, to be Christ-like, as the term Christian was coined in early church history, was kind of a derogatory uh, term to where, oh, they're just acting like little Christs. I've had f- several conversations with friends that I've grown up with today um, that go to different churches, different denominations, um, and I ask them, are you a Christian? And they'll say, yes, I'm a Christian. And, and then I'll kindly reply, oh, like how, what church do you go to? Well, I go to such and such church. Like, oh, that's cool. Um, like, what's it like there? Well, I wouldn't know. This is the reply. Um, I hadn't been there since Easter, or I hadn't been there since Christmas, or I hadn't been there in several months, and um, work, or this, or um, things have kind of gotten in the way. Um, one of the things that's been a burden on my heart and our pastor's heart over the last year is just the number of people that stopped going to church because of the pandemic. And, and I, I don't want to like step on any toes here, so to speak, but the sense of the fact that like, yes, it's a real thing and there's some real cautious things we need to be out there, but it's almost as if like, and I've said this before privately, it's almost as if we had a price on our faith with God and whether it means to attend church or to be in fellowship with others. And, and, and that, that thing, that uncertainty was the price. Now I said, I don't want to step on toes, but we're going to see in this passage as Christ lays out the gospel message, every answer that the world's really been asking of what's been going on for the last year. And we'll see that here in just a moment. But going back to the idea of being labeled as a Christian, to be Christ-like, is to one, to emulate his actions, his behavior, and his mission. It's often said when you see the way someone acts, you can tell a lot about their character, and character is often defined as how people act when no one else is looking. When we look at these next seven verses here in Mark chapter 1, we see Christ continue his earthly ministry after his baptism and after 40 days in the wilderness, after several months as he traveled to Galilee through Samaria. I said a moment ago, we're going to look at the message that he was charged to bring. We're going to look at the mandate that he, he called um, believers to come and follow him. And then we're going to look at the method, their response to those that he called. When we see the preparation that Christ had 
from, from John the Baptist being the forerunner to Christ being baptized, for him spending time in the wilderness, being tempted, yet spending time in communion with God his Father. When we see the preparation and we understand the gravity and the nobleness of his mission, I believe we too will take it to heart and live it out in every moment of our lives. To understand God's calling on our lives, we must first truly understand the message. How do we reach others with the gospel if we don't truly know what it is? A couple weeks back, I was sitting in my office. I forget which day of the week it was, but I'm in the office. My door is wide open. I'm looking at the sermon calendar that we had made in the fall with our student ministry team. And uh, we're, we're in a series, a year-long series called Linked, being linked with God, being linked with family, with friends, and with others. And uh, we had just kind of came to the halfway point, you know, topic-wise. Each of the first two series on God and family have been about six weeks long. And we're, I'm looking ahead into the friend series and as well as the series to reach others. And I'm really struggling. I'm like, should I spend like six weeks on each topic? Should I do something different? And I was just kind of jumping around, you know, um, being uncertain, you know, when it comes to some of those topical ideas. Uh, I was reaching out to the ministry team saying, hey, guys, what are some topics that we can hit on on friendship? Um, and, so, and then text messages are flying in. And then someone comes into the office, and I'm going to put somebody on blast this morning. I gave him a warning that I would. Um, Murray Jones uh, comes into the office. Um, Murray, I love you, and I'm not going to say anything bad about you, but uh, Murray, I forget what he was, oh, I, uh, we were working on a computer, uh, is what it was. He brought a computer in for several days, and uh, we were helping with that, and um, he sat down and he said something to me, and sometimes, like, I am in a train of thought, and this is like a confession from me to Murray and to everyone, sometimes when I'm like in the zone, people can give me advice or say, hey, you should do this, or you should do that, and it literally in one ear and out the other, and it's no fault to anyone else but myself, because it's just you know, I, I'm shut down that way. So anyways, I'm struggling with, what do I do with these two lessons? Do I look at friendship? Do I look at others? And then Murray says to me, sits down in my office, he goes, you know what, Pastor Dan? You know what our young people need? And then I'm like, uh-oh, what did I not do? Uh, what, what's, what's he about to say? You know, I'm kind of like sitting on thin ice. Murray says this, he goes, young people need to know what is the gospel? And I looked and I was just like, and I looked at him and he said that. And he goes, what is the gospel? Do our young people know what the gospel is? And as soon as he said that, I stared and looked at my computer screen with the schedule. And then I was like, how could I go from speaking on um, a relationship with God, relationship with family, a relationship and friends, and then jump into sharing with others without first addressing what the gospel message is? And so, Murray, thank you for helping me by the being led of the Spirit, really, to kind of say, hey, we're going to do four weeks on friendship. We're going to do four weeks on what the gospel message is in student ministry before we even touch what it means to reach others with the gospel. Whether you're in the military, you're police, you're in the medical field, whatever your profession may be, you don't go into work without training, without preparation, expecting to execute the task. If you're in the military, you don't go to battle without not knowing how to use your gear, your armor, your weapons, and things of that nature. You need to be well-versed in what the preparation is. And I believe we see that preparation with Christ. And to understand the calling of our lives, to tell others about this message, the gospel, the good news, we really need to understand what it is. And if we don't know what it is, that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, I want to give you a warning. I... Uh, I know when I preach, a lot of you think, woohoo, we're getting out in 25 minutes. Um, I went 50 this morning. I doubled my time. No. Um, but uh, 
I'll, I'll just want to give you a little disclaimer. A majority of this message is going to be in this first point. And so we're going to be like 30 minutes later, and I'll finish my first point, and you're going to be like, we're going to be here all day. Um, the Super Bowl was last week. You have nothing to watch today, um, unless you're a NASCAR fan. But anyways, um, we're going to look at verses 14 and 15 and spend some time in the message this morning. What is this message that Christ was um, preparing for communion in God the Father with? And it says here quickly in verse 14, Now after that, John was put into prison, and Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now from a young age, I had the opportunity really to grow up in church in Sunday school, Awana. I remember the word gospel always being defined by these two words. The gospel is the the good news. The good news. So as a child, I would say, good news? Well, good news about what? What's the bad news? What's the good news? Well, the Bible tells us very clearly, and I'll be honest, this is where I struggled in this part of the message when it came to studying and preparation, when it came to explaining what the gospel message is, because I could literally recite Romans wrote verses left and right, this, 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 and I think those verses are important and part of the whole gospel story. But one of the things that was really pushed on my heart this week is explaining the benefits of what the gospel is. The Bible tells us that each and every one of us is not perfect. The Bible calls us sinners. And it tells us that the penalty of sin uh, is, is death, is, is eternal death, separation from God in heaven. And if it stopped right there and you're here for the first time today, you're like, that's the most horrible news I ever heard. I'm never coming back to this church again. But the cool part about the story is it doesn't stop there. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. See, the gospel message is the story of what Christ did in following God the Father. We were in a state of sin. The moment we were born, we were in the state of sin, inherited through the blood of our fathers, um, and we needed redemption. We needed salvation. We needed the rights, excuse me, the wrongs to be righted. It's not something that we could have done in and of our own power, but when it comes to the gospel message, it's what Christ did. It's the good news. So what is this good news about? Well, the good news is I'm a sinner on my way to a real place called hell, but the good news is the fact that Christ died on the cross for my sin and for your sin, and through Him, we can have a relationship. Through Him, we can have salvation. One of the um, commentaries and the notes that was uh, as I went through this week and looked through and it was even shared uh, with me uh, um, from Mike and, and, and Pastor Aaron as we talked through our sermon meetings on Mondays, um, was this uh, six-word breakdown of what the gospel is by a commentator, and I'll give credit to where credit is due. His name is William Barclay. And uh, as he explains the gospel, um, I'm, I'm going to utilize some of his outline and some of the references that he points out to, to what the gospel is, what the good news is all about. Now, it's obvious that it's good news that our sins can be paid for, but he breaks it down in a more applicable sense. And as we go through these six words, I want you to think about over the last year, these six words are answers to what the world has been searching for what the world has been more on edge about because of uncertainty, because of fighting, because of uh, what is truth and what isn't truth. 
So the answers for the world today in 2021, I think perfectly are illustrated here in this, this explanation of the good news. The first word is, the gospel is truth. In Colossians 1.5, it tells us, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. I love when the Bible is the best commentary of itself, and it talks about this gospel message that Jesus is um, preaching in Galilee in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, is a gospel message based on truth. Secondly, it's a message based on hope. Colossians, that same chapter in verse 23 says, If ye continue in faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, have made a minister. Paul told the church at Colossae that the gospel gives us hope. Thirdly, the gospel gives us peace. Ephesians 6.15, Paul tells the church of Ephesus, "...and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace." Fourth, the gospel is God's promise. Ephesians 3.6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Fifth word is immortality, 2 Timothy 1.10, but is now made manifest by, appearing, by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And the sixth word is salvation. Ephesians 1.13, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So this morning as we look at this first point, the message, the gospel is really broken up into three parts. This first part we're at now is the good news. The gospel is truth. The gospel is hope, it's peace, it's God's promise, it's immortality, it's salvation. If there weren't six words that could answer the questions of the world today, I've had conversations, you've had conversations more recently with friends of yours that know you go to church, that know you have a relationship with God, and the question that I've heard fielded, whether it was in person or a text message from a coworker several years ago, it says, Dan, is this the end of the world? And I kindly said, not even close. Because I've read the end of the book. And what we're dealing with now pales in comparison to what happens. But here's the reality. We live in an age today where truth is debated. Is this real news? Is this fake news? Is this legitimate? Is this biased? Is it what? In a world of so much uncertainty, thank God we have the truth of the gospel. In a world where hope is yearned for and longed for, thank God the gospel is the gospel of hope. In a world where there's disagreement, there's fighting, there's bickering, the gospel is a gospel of peace. I love the verse in Ephesians 3, 6 that says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by the gospel. That verse tells us, but Scripture also tells us elsewhere, that it doesn't matter if you're Jewish, it doesn't matter if you're Gentile, the gospel is made available for all. That's God's promise. Immortality. Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
I've said it this way, and sometimes when I've said it this way, people look at me like, what? Um, when it comes to immortality, when it comes to the gospel, if I were to die today, I know 100% where I'm going to spend eternity. It's going to be in heaven. How do you know that, Pastor Dan? How do you know for sure that you're going to go to heaven? What did you do? How did you know for sure? The answer, I did absolutely nothing. The answer, Christ did everything. So what kind of confidence does that give me as a believer? What kind of confidence does that give you as believers? The fact that you live life every day victorious, knowing that when this life is over, I know what my eternal destination would be. I've had honest, heart-to-heart conversations with dear friends of mine that grew up in different churches, different denominations, and I've asked the question, how do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Can you know for sure? How do you explain that? Nine times out of ten, the answer's noble, good heart, but the answers are to be good enough, to, be, to, be, um, to, to earn my way there. We're going to talk a little bit about the simplicity of this gospel message and why I believe God intended it to be presented to us in this way. But the Bible tells us it's not the good works that gets us there. It's the grace of God through faith. Um, Immortality in the sense of, I don't fear death because I know where I'm going. I'll be completely transparent. I might fear the way I die. You know, like I I have this, I'm not really claustrophobic, but if you bear me alive in a box and put dirt on top of it, I'm going to freak out. Not not, not the way I want to go. I watch too many movies. Um, But listen, listen, the gospel abolishes death. The death that it's abolishing is the spiritual death we were born into, that spiritual separation. So when we die, we can be reunited and restored with God the Father in heaven who showed us his love in sending his son salvation, the gospel of your salvation, being saved from what? Being saved from spending an eternity in a very real place called hell. Ultimately, in a nutshell, this good news, the gospel, it's a relationship. One of the things that I've really been burdened with, um, just my own personal thoughts and study and just concerns that I personally see um, within like the American church, not necessarily Oasis Baptist Church, but the church as a whole, is the gospel, the good news of what Christ did on the cross has turned into a transactional point in time to say, hey, I'm saved. Woohoo! I can go live life however I want. The kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about here is referring to the kingdom in heaven eternal, yes. But it's also referring to our life with Christ now. The gospel isn't a point where we just make a decision saying, God, I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. It's part of it. And it's settled at that point. There's nothing we can do to to take it away. It says right there in the passage that we are sealed in the gospel. But every single day, it's walking in the gospel. It's not something I just did and forget about. It's every single day remembering it. Even we were singing this morning, talking about surrender, talking about the Father's arms being held open wide, just the imagery that that conveys in my heart to say, God, I I was a sinner. I didn't deserve your grace. I didn't deserve your forgiveness. But yet, for some reason, someone's not getting a car wash on time. Um, But for some reason, God, I didn't deserve any of this. And yet, you chose to love me in spite of it. It's a relationship. When my wife and I got married, marriage was not the finish line. It was really the starting point. 
She learned a lot of things about me that I successfully hid for two years um, in dating and engagement. Um, but it was really the starting point to where now today, eight years later, I know my wife more than I ever knew her before when we were dating. And the same is true with our relationship with God. The moment we give our life to God, it's the starting point of our spiritual relationship with him. How do we, how do we grow in that relationship? How, do my, how does my wife and I grow in our relationship? We communicate. We talk. Sometimes she talks and I don't listen or I'm distracted. And then she'll just give me the like, I'll stop. And I'm like, okay, let me put the phone away or whatever. Um, but listen, isn't that ironically like parallel to God speaking to us and sometimes we don't listen? We have his word and we communicate to him through prayer. It's a relationship that needs to be built on. <clears throat> Going back to verse 14, John's put in prison. Jesus comes into Galilee. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And 15 says, And saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. When it says the time is fulfilled, in life groups, um, we're looking through the book of Acts. So it's like fast forward all the way through the life and the ministry of Christ. And it's right, uh, we're in chapter 2, but in chapter 1, Christ descends into heaven and uh, commissions the disciples to go and to teach and to baptize. And um, at that point, his disciples were looking for this kingdom of heaven to be established right here, right now. Why? Because they were under Roman occupation. And Israel wasn't truly a free nation at this time. But when it says the time is fulfilled, that, that's not to be dug into like, well, what does that mean? It simply means that God's timing is perfect. God's time is perfect for what? Pastor mentioned this last week, and I believe the week before. What modern Marvel invention did Rome bring to the world that completely changed society as they knew it at this time? What was it? The roads. The roads. So the gospel message, Jesus is saying, this is, there's such really a time as this to, to spread the gospel message. We, the Roman roads are there to make spreading of this gospel message so much easier. But then I look ahead to today. I'm like the structure of society, the internet. You can download something across the world this fast. How much more today is it easier for us to disseminate that same message of the gospel? Uh, yesterday, or last night, I was driving after that massive windstorm that like completely shut everything down. I, I, there was like 38,000 people without power. We somehow still had power. Thank you, thank you Mike. Um, but uh, I'm driving down the road. I'm coming down Stephanie. I pass Patrick, and Patrick's stoplights are out. I'm like, okay, four-way stop. Keep going. I get up to Stephanie and Galleria. Stephanie and Galleria's stoplights are out. So I was like, all right. There's, I stop, and there's a police officer directing traffic. And I'm sitting there just watching him direct traffic. And then when it's finally our turn to go, um, I go straight, and I'm going down Stephanie to run some errands. One of the things that blew me away was as I'm driving down the road, Thinking about this idea, I'm like, I'm driving in a car from my house to this place that would probably have taken me three hours to walk by foot, or two hours if I had a chariot or something of that nature, a, a comparable transportation device that was applicable to this time frame. And I'm watching a police officer direct traffic, and I'm sitting there thinking, how far have we come as a society? Now, I'm 34 years old. I have no idea what life was. Nobody in this room has any idea what life was like without cars. Um, but at the same time, I was sitting there thinking how crazy it is for the tools that we have today to be able to take us from point A to point B. I was sitting there thinking like the providence of God to allow us to have things of that nature, the society structure to be where it is today, for us to take this gospel message and take it throughout the world. Jesus in this passage is walking down the seashore, so to speak. He's calling out, uh, we'll see here in a minute, to four different men to come and follow him. 
And so we have a time now in society and history more than ever to spread the gospel in ways that were never done before. But keep in mind, those that Christ is about to speak to and those he's about to call in their earthly ministry to walk alongside of him, yes, they're looking for a Messiah eternally speaking because John the Baptist, the forerunner, laid the foundation. And these men knew to look for someone. But they're also looking for political liberation. But the kingdom of God that Jesus is speaking about here is more important than any earthly kingdom. It's talking about the kingdom of God, heaven, eternal, but the kingdom of God here on earth as we live and walk in God through the gospel. So the, the message is three points. It's the good news about what Christ will do on the cross, but it's also about repentance. Romans 10, 9 tells us that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, I'll just stop right there. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. The word repent means to turn from or to change your mind. I never take for granted who's here at church with us this morning, whether you've been here for several years and maybe this is your first time. The Lord Jesus, the word Lord is a title of deity. It's a title of Jesus is God. So if I'm repenting of my sin and I'm confessing that Jesus is God, how do I have a relationship with God? Well, why would I trust in someone that I don't know if they can really take care of sin? But because Jesus is God, because he's 100% God and 100% man, he is able, he lived a sinless, perfect life. He was tempted just like each and every one of us are. And as he's going to call men to serve alongside him in earthly ministry to build the eternal kingdom of heaven, The idea of repentance is key, to turn away from or to change your mind. Repentance is based on the individual. You cannot repent for someone else in the eyes of God because the sin is our own. There there wasn't many times where a sibling of mine, a brother or sister got in trouble, and I was like, hey, mom, I I did that. Like, I I repent on their behalf. No, that's not how it works. Sin has a consequence, and it's usually tied to the individual. So repentance is turning away from that sin. It's the change of your mind. But here's the irony. We, in and of ourselves, we can't save ourselves. We can't be good enough to erase the wrong. It's God who saves us. He does the work. What we do is acknowledge the fact that only He is able to do that. Only He, through the Holy Spirit, is to show us our need to repent, to turn, and to agree to have that change of mind to Him. As I studied this week, I read um, a commentator that said this, and I was just kind of like blown with this idea, that when it comes to sin and when it comes to salvation, there's two ways to look at sin. The first is to look at sin in the light of consequences, through guilt, through regret, through hey, I messed up there, so I'm going to have the consequence to deal with that. The second viewpoint that he pointed out was you can hate sin. And this commentator went on to say that real repentance means coming not only to be sorry for the consequences of sin, but to hate sin itself. A couple weeks back, I had the opportunity with our young people, our students, to go to a winter retreat over a weekend um, at Camp Ironwood, and I had the opportunity to speak uh, twice, and the, the topic we were um, speaking on was Romans chapter 8. Um, I preached the last morning <coughs> excuse me, about the idea of living in victory, 
In the passage in Romans chapter 8, there was two verses where I was preaching from that said this, if Christ be for us, who can be against us? And then it went on to say that we are more than conquerors. And as I read this quote, that thought came to mind, the answer, Christian, to living victoriously in Christ each and every day is understanding the victory we have, but also understanding the repentance we had at salvation means not only to be sorry for the consequences of sin, but also to hate it. So how do we unpack that practically? Each morning when you're up and you spend time in the Word, you spend time in prayer, pray this, God, help me to hate sin like you do. Help me to be aware of the temptation that's coming my way, the the opportunities for me to mess up and fall. Help me to live in victory. And unfortunately, there will be times where we slip and fall and we feel defeated. We feel sorry for the consequences of sin. But I believe the answer to living victoriously as a result of repentance is the idea of also hating sin and to live over it victoriously every day. The message is the good news. The message is repentance. The message is believing. The second half of Romans 10, 9. And thou, starts off that, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. We're to take Jesus at his word. If I can't save myself, we're to take Jesus at his word. Why should I take Jesus at his word? Why does belief mean taking Jesus at his word? Because if I'm honest with myself, I'll know that if it was up to me to work my way to heaven, I can't do it. Pastor Dan, no, I can't do it. You can't, none of us can work our way to do that. But why should we also believe? Why should we believe in our heart that God had raised him from the dead, that we'd be saved? Because it was God who loved us in the first place while we were sinners, Romans 5.8 says that God shows his love to us while we were sinners and Christ, his perfect only begotten son, died for us. God loved us. Why else should we believe? Because Christ was willing to make the sacrifice for us. Not only God the Father was willing to give his only begotten son, but Christ was also willing. Now, was Christ human as much as we are? And was he also 100% God? Yeah. Were there times in his ministry we see elsewhere in Scripture where he pleads to God the Father, if there's any way someone else can do this, let it be done. But nevertheless, God, Dad, your will be done. Christ was willing to make the sacrifice. Why should we believe? So we can trust in God's simple plan of redemption. I said a moment ago when it came to the viewpoints of how people view how to get to heaven by works, or by trusting in Christ and Christ alone. I'm no rocket scientist. I'm not the most intellectual person you'll ever meet. Ask my wife. Um, But when it comes to trusting in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation, or trusting in my works, what's the easier, more simple method? Trusting in Christ and Him alone. That's where the faith comes in to believe So when it comes to the message, as Jesus is going through Galilee, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's an eternal kingdom in heaven, but a a kingdom here living in communion with him on earth. And the time is ready. The kingdom of God is at hand. The message he's preaching is repent and believe. 
I just now finished my first point, so um, bear with me. Now, points two and three, we'll move quickly through them. Um, secondly, this morning, we're going to look at the mandate. We're going to look at verses 16, 17, and we're going to jump ahead over 18. We're going to look at 19. It says in verse 16, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And jumping ahead to verse 19, And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were also in the ship mending their nets. So let's look at verse 16 and 17. Jesus is walking along the shore there by the Sea of Galilee, Simon, also called Peter, and his brother Andrew, they were fishers by trade. It was their livelihood. Not only did it put food on their table and for their family, but it provided them an income to barter to trade and to live. Jesus is walking on the shoreline, and he calls out to them, Come after me. Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Now, I said earlier Mark is like a Cliff Notes version of the gospel. To get a more detailed account of this, you go back to Matthew. Um, so Jesus is saying, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. <clears throat> if John the Baptist wasn't a forerunner, Simon and Andrew would have been sitting in the boat like, who is this guy? Like, we're fishing, we're working. Who, who's this guy to just come and say, hey, follow me? It was John the Baptist that was responsible for the fact that he spoke of Jesus to come and Simon and Andrew knew of that through him. So it wasn't just anyone saying, hey, come leave your profession behind and follow after me. They knew of this. But let's jump to verse 19 real quick before we see their response. Verse 19, uh, Jesus had, went, had gone down a little further thence, and he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the ship mending their nets. Before I go any further, James and John have the most absolute coolest nickname ever in all of the Bible. Uh, does anyone know what it is? The sons of thunder, man. What an awesome name, like nickname. What's your name? Oh, this is my brother James. This is John. We're the sons of thunder. I'm like, whoa. It's like my brother and I could never pull that off. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, honey, when we have a boy in a few months, he's going to be the son of thunder. No, I'm kidding. Um, but uh, sons of thunder. I just love that nickname. But anyways, let's get back to it. In verse 19, they're preparing, they're mending, they're repairing and adjusting their nets. Jesus also called them. <clears throat> one, of the th- one of the thoughts that I had studied was the impact of the word nets. And I never really noticed this before um, until this week going through this passage. Why did Jesus focus on the word nets? Um, And uh, he saw Simon and Andrew casting a net, but in Matthew, he specifically said, leave your nets behind. And then here in Mark, he sees James and John and uh, and he sees them in their nets and there are men in their nets. And he says to them, leave the nets behind. And when I saw this, I was like, whoa. Um, The net, uh, metaphorically speaking, What's their profession? They're catching fish. They throw out nets. They bring in the fish in. The net was speaking like parallel to that of the gospel, the message of what Christ was about to do and to go on a cross to redeem man for their sin. The net was Jesus saying, hey, let's stop using those physical nets to catch fish. Why don't you follow me and let's go catch, spiritually speaking, with the gospel message, men's souls for being restored because of sin and that separation from God. Let's go follow along me and let's go win people to God the Father so we're catching them with the net of the gospel. It's a simple but yet difficult command if you put yourself in their shoes. Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John They're being told to come and follow after me. Now, if you're a child working in student ministry and working with kids' classes, hey, follow me. Kid will follow, no problem. 
talking to an adult that's got a job, has got a livelihood, has got bills to pay, has got all these things going on. To have them just leave everything like that and to follow Christ in earthly ministry is a simple ask, but it's also probably complicated. But let's look at the method of how they replied in verses 18. We'll go back to and we'll also look at verse 20. It says, And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. Speaking of Simon and Andrew. And then verse 20, James and John, when he was straightway, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. There's an immediate response. There's no hesitation. And the response is immediate obedience. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And Simon and Andrew straightway went with Christ. James and John straightway went with Christ. And when the calling came from Christ, the four of them didn't hesitate. How often do we hesitate or delay or even ignore an impression from God to talk to someone? I said that earlier this morning, how many of us go out to eat and sit at a restaurant and have someone serve us? or someone we run into in our neighborhood, or someone we run into work, do we look at them in the light of eternity? Do we look at them through the lens of the gospel of Christ? Do we even care or think to acknowledge, where are they going to spend eternity? If that's not our first thought, this message is for us. Because we need to buy into that message. Before we reach others with the gospel, we need to know what the gospel is. We need to see that it's a calling that God has called us as Christians, like these four men, to go alongside of him. And their method, their response was immediate obedience. At Oasis, our church's mission, heartbeat, is to lead others to be passionate followers. Can I tell you something? That did not originate with Oasis Baptist Church. That originates from the gospel message that we see here in passages in Matthew and passages in Acts where it's our calling to lead others to be passionate followers of Christ. It originates with the mission and the message of Christ and the gospel, the good news about what he did, about what he's about to do in this chapter for all of mankind. These four men left their plans behind. Simon and Andrew forsook their nets. James and John, they left their dad in the boat. If I left my dad in the boat, I'm in trouble. There were times where my dad and I would go out and spend Saturday together. He, he used to work in, the, in the, uh, the firearms industry, the ammunition industry. We'd go out to the range. We'd go have fun. We'd go plinking. And then every time we'd come back home, we had to clean all the guns. It was a boring, painstaking task. If I ever got up from that table where we were cleaning and just wanted to go play video games, I would have been knocked upside the head silly. But the interesting thing here is these men saw that the calling to go alongside of Christ, this this promised Messiah, was one that was so important that they stepped out on faith and immediately followed. They immediately followed Christ. They bought into his message. They bought into his mission. They went from fishing for physical fulfillment of livelihood to then fishing for the the souls of men for eternal spiritual fulfillment and restoration. And the cool part about this is these men aren't ashamed to do it. One of the earliest verses I remember from a child is Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first 
and also to the Greek. You may be here this morning and not understand what is this relationship talking about. You may be here this morning, say, Pastor Dan, I've been saved for X amount of years. You're just kind of preaching to the back wall. No, no, I'm preaching to everyone here because here's why. We cannot reach our neighbor, our coworker, our family member, our loved ones with the gospel message of Christ to kind of reply to what Murray's question was, do we even know what the gospel is? The gospel is the good news of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. The gospel is us repenting and turning from our sin, agreeing with God the Father that where we are, where our, our righteousness is, as the Bible say, are just like filthy rags. We can't get ourselves to heaven. We need Christ to be the one that finished the work, and he did that. But it's also believing that he is able believing that he lived a life where he could be the adequate sacrifice, the advocate to step in for the consequence of our sins. The consequence of our sins we talked about earlier is, is hell. But because of Christ's perfect sacrifice, he stepped in and took that payment on the cross. And not only did he just die on the cross, we sang it a few moments ago, Christ is risen. He conquered sin. He conquered death. <clears throat> so are you here this morning? and you don't know what that relationship looks like? Do you know for sure if you were to die today, you'd be on your way to heaven? That's a loaded question. I came to church, I didn't know I was going to get that. You know, I could tell you from my personal faith in God, my relationship that I have with Him, that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, the answer is yes, I'm going to heaven. And my heartbeat, my desire, each and every one of you can say the very same thing. You may be here for the first time today, you might be here for 10 years. It doesn't matter who you are. I'm not assuming anything. If that's a decision you haven't made, I encourage you to step out in faith and follow them. Leave the nets behind, leave the fish behind, and follow the message that Christ is laying out. And Christian, let's take that message and let's know it. Let's be prepared with it. Let's take it to a lost and dying world. In 2021, the world is looking for answers of hope, of truth, of peace, of promise, of immortality, of salvation. And we have the message of the gospel to give it. We must see the gravity of that message. We must listen to God's call. And we must immediately buy in and act alongside of Christ. Lord, I thank you today for the opportunity to dive into your word. These seven short verses where we see you and your earthly ministry begin to, to work and to minister and to preach the gospel of heaven. You begin to call men to come alongside of you and labor with you to, to spread the word. The timing was perfect. The roads were built. God, you were in control and you knew the best time to do it. God, we face a time today and in a world that, to be completely honest, is a lot more uncertain than it was just a year ago. But God, we have the answer. We've always had the answer. It's always been in your word. God, I pray as Christians that we would be serious about it, that we would know it, that we would look at friends and neighbors in light of eternity and wonder where are they going to spend eternity. God, help our faith, our walk to go beyond Sundays. Help us to live it each and every day. Help us not to look at the gospel as a transactional decision, but a moment in our life where we entered into a loving relationship with you and live in that relationship each and every day living in victory and not defeat. <clears throat> God, I pray that you would work in hearts this morning. 
If a soul needs to come to know you, to accept that gift of salvation, God, I pray they speak with someone, whether they're sitting next to someone or whether they want to come to the altar and we can have someone show them from your word what it means to have that relationship with Christ. God, I pray that you would just equip this church with this realization as we head into 2021, a world looking for answers. Help us to live cognizant of that. Help us to live in light of that and to be aware and help us to be equipped knowing that we have the answer to the question. Help us to listen to your call and God, help us not to hesitate, but help us to immediately obey when you prompt us to talk to someone. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you do. We ask this in your name. As the piano continues to play, God maybe you spoke to your heart this morning. So if you just like to, if you want to, take some moments, pray right there in your seat or even come up here and pray to the altar, whatever you feel comfortable doing. Don't leave here not knowing if you have a relationship with God. Are you looking for those answers? Are you looking for peace? Are you looking for hope? Are you looking for truth? The answer is Christ. If you're a Christian here this morning, do you understand the gravity of the message that we carry? Are you going to listen to God's call? And not only are you going to listen to it, are you going to immediately obey it? I know we can all think of coworkers, family members, neighbors. <coughs> At this time, deal with God. thank you for the day. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. Lord, I'm thankful and encouraged to see this house full. God, I pray that we take what we looked at today through your word in these seven short verses and we apply it to our, our walk with you. Help us to be obedient. Help us to do so immediately because ultimately it's just a, an act of us showing our love for you. Lord, we love you. We ask this in your name. Amen.